sponsored by the SEC registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management, and uh, also to Wilsey Asset Management is a proud investing partner of the San Diego Padres. Uh, want to thank you for joining the show today. As always, got a lot of great things to talk about. Uh, got to talk about the CPI, PPI, that's Consumer Price Index, and also Producer Price Index. Uh, great numbers there. We'll discuss that. Also, some com some comments on the real estate market. Uh, and then we do want to talk about uh, some potential lawsuits against AT&T, and uh, we'll go more into that. You'll understand more why we're going to talk about that when we get to it. But also with me is Chase. Uh, Chase, uh, what do you got? Well, you know, as always, you want to call, join the show. You got a stock you're looking at buying, selling, holding. We'll break down those fundamentals for you. Phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Well, let's get started with the uh, CPI, again, Consumer Price Index. And Chase, we got to take a victory lap because do you remember uh, probably a year and a half, two years ago, uh, it was like, oh, and inflation is transitory. You said, no, it's not transitory. Uh, finally, uh, Chairman um, uh, Jerome Powell did uh, say, yes, we got to start increasing interest rates. And then we had inflation nearly 12%, I believe it was, I think, June of uh, last year. I think the, the CPI got as high as 9%, but the PPI got over 12, 11%. Over 11%. Yeah, I knew it was pushing that. And people said, oh, this is going to be like the 70s. This is going to be terrible. It's going to be forever. And we, <clears throat> based on the data, we said, no, you're, you're missing what happened with the supply change, the production, all the, the exports, imports. People were not reading the data. Well, here we are today with the CPI report, and if he and if if we told you last year <clears throat> we would see inflation at three <laughs> percent, would you believe it? Well, in the month of June, that's exactly what we saw. As the CPI rose 0.2 percent compared to May, it was up just three percent compared to last June. Energy prices continue to be a major positive as they fell 16.7 percent compared to last year, with unleaded regular gasoline falling 27.1 percent. Other areas of the economy also saw nice declines with airline fares falling 18.9%. Major appliances were down 10.7%. And used cars and trucks saw a decline of 5.7%. I remember there's a time where, oh, used car prices are just going up like crazy. It was like 30%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how we turned it around. I know some people, congratulations on selling used cars at such a high price because that is going back to the norm. What I was like to talk about too is uh, food still saw an increase of 5% in the month. But there was a substantial difference between food away from home as it was up 7.7% and food at home was only up 4.7%. And if you remember as well, food last year was just crazy. I mean, you look at the grocery price inflation, it saw a peak of around 14% last summer. So it, it has slowed quite substantially compared to those times. And there actually were products. Remember we talked about eggs earlier too. Yeah. They were actually down 7.9% year over year. 
Bacon was down 10.1% year over year as they showed those nice declines compared to last year. Wait a minute. So that means now breakfast is the, getting the cheapest. <laughs> the old bacon and eggs and yeah. still have pretty good price. <laughs> the other thing, too, we look at is core inflation, which excludes food and energy, still remained higher than most would like to see at 4.8%. But it did fall from last month's reading of 5.3%, and it is well below the peak last year of 6.6%. As a reminder, the headline CPI, here you go, reached that peak of over 9% last year. It's important to understand that shelter prices continued to weigh on the report as they were up nearly 8% and accounted for approximately 70% of that monthly increase. Continue to believe shelter costs will decelerate substantially, which would be a major benefit to both the core and headline CPI. I think, again, as we close out 2023, inflation will be a concern of the past year. Yeah, one thing we got to talk about is shelter costs because uh, we are waiting for, and it's based on not the price of homes, but on the rental value or the actual rentals. Yeah, it's the owner's equivalent rent yes. is, is what they call it, and also rent prices. Rent prices. And we've talked about how the abundance of supply of rents, uh, rental properties and apartments coming online that will bring down again it's the old supply demand you're going to have a much larger supply they want to fill those apartment buildings they want to fill those homes they will have to do that by lowering the price of their rent which will be benefit but these are contracts many times they're for a year so they they are slow to come in the other thing with rents the the way they calculate it and i was looking into this because i was like it's just it's such an interesting way that they calculate the prices is they have like four subsets of data that they look at so to lap that other yeah. other subset you have to go through that those three other subsets of data to get back to the first one so that's why you normally see a lag on these Real estate prices and CPIs normally around six to twelve months yeah. before those prices actually come down on the report. Right, and and, and we do have uh, the issue of, of labor because we do have um, well now the actors and the writers uh, are striking. Uh, the UPS strike uh, lingers out there. That could be a problem. Uh, GM has a contract, I believe, coming up. Uh, it's not just GM. It's GM, Ford, and Stellantis. All of the, all yeah, it's the union. Auto, uh, the union auto workers, they're the UAW. They always negotiate with the, the I'll call them the big three uh, United States companies, North American companies. North American companies, okay, because that because that's going to be and and the problem that we have is and what what Powell is concerned about is the labor side. That's yep. what's now pushing things up, uh, and we're going to see and, and we got to say that the the unions are in a great position now because people need workers. Yeah. Um, and therefore they can say, well, look, you wanna make these products, uh, you gotta pay our, our, our workers. And I'm, I'm not agreeing with the unions. Uh, I think they over do it many times, but uh, it's just something that is reality, it's gonna happen. So that's gonna be a little bit of push on inflation. However, I did, did see that the strikes only account for about, I think it was about 3% of the labor force. So it will have a little bit of effect but it's not going to be, oh, terrible, and like, oh, inflation's going to go back to 12%. So uh, we're going to watch that closely as far as what that that does. Uh, it will be, I think, some upward pressure. But to get to that 2%, I'm very curious. Will Powell stick to that 2%? I think he, I, I hate to say this, he shouldn't. But I think he is going to raise one more time at the end of July. Yeah, I I agree. It it's it appears the market has like a 90% chance of uh, still a increase in, in this month. And, you know, we've been saying, I don't think it needs to raise. And I think we've said the last couple meetings that I don't yeah. think they need to raise. And, you know, I was thinking about this as well, is 
I think that a lot of the reason the rising interest rates necessarily hasn't, I, I mean, clearly it's helped with inflation, but I think a right. lot of that's the, the lapping of such high growth rates last year. But I think the problem is we had so much liquid money in the economy. So what does that mean? You increase interest rates, well, people still have all this cash. So yeah. you're not saying, oh, we're going to slow down credit, which they have a little bit, but there's still so much cash in the economy that people are just like, ah, I'll just pay cash instead. <laughs> right. So there, you need to have that dried up. Once that happens, then these higher interest rates should really help kind of, I, I, I'm going to say, slow things down that you increase again and again. Well, it doesn't really matter because all the cash is still out there that the higher interest rates aren't really having as big of an impact <laughs> as you think. So it's just, I think, silly to increase again. And quite frankly, I don't think it's going to matter one way or another if he increases one more time, but I just don't see the need to do so. And and and, and I say that I think he will increase, but maybe he won't. Maybe he just wants the threat of increasing so people don't say, oh, it's, it's over, and they get all crazy. Yeah. And he may not increase and say, well, we're still pausing just to keep that, that I call it fear out there that don't go crazy here because we can increase if you go crazy. So we may not see that increase. And I don't think we need it because, uh, again, the whole supply demand issue uh, has what really has done it, uh, caught inflation back down. And inflation in the 70s, that's what, oh, it's going to be like the 70s last for years. And, and we were kind of talking about the victory lap here now. Because of the fact there's people that pulled out of their investments because they were so afraid of inflation. They did not look into the data to realize, like, no, don't do that because inflation is not as bad as you think it is. Yeah, and, and the other thing I look at, too, you talk about the 70s, is, you know, people are worried about, yeah, inflation may cool, and then it's going to spike again. That's where I think people need to look at the Fed and say, if they cut rates too soon, that's where the risk is. I think yes. they don't need to increase rates, but I think they also need to be careful of getting – loose monetary policy too quickly. I, that's where I think the mistake could come and inflation could spike again. So all of a sudden they cut rates, let's say, too soon next year and the rates go back down. That's where people could say, oh, great, now I'm going to start borrowing. And that's where you could see a surge in inflation. Uh, I just think, again, the need to increase, not there. But also people are starting to look at rate cuts maybe this year. That seems to kind of be lesser talked about right. now. But I think that's where the big risk is. If they cut too soon, that's where you could see a spike in inflation. And I want them to hold on to those rate cuts. I don't want them to do it until we see a slowdown in the economy. That's a tool you can bring out at that point in time. We should stay where we're at right now. Yeah, I don't like paying, you know, what what's the mortgage now? Six and a half, seven percent. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to hurt. But it, but I, I, I want to keep those decline in interest rates when the economy really truly does slow down to where, okay, now we've got a juicy economy, now we can reduce it to do that. So I don't wanna be in a hurry to reduce rates. The economy's doing fine. We've got a very strong job market. Um, I, I, I hope that we sit where we're at and just let the economy move along. And we've got a big demand out there for industrial production. I mean, there's so many good things going on. Yeah, and I will say that when we talked about the, the food away from home and at home, obviously the big difference there, we talked about this a little bit, is the labor. That's yeah. why the food away from home is so much more expensive yep. is because you got to pay the waiters, waitresses, you know, the cooks, the, the uh, dishwashers, things like that. Is The labor cost is why the food away from home is so much more, I think, expensive than the food at home. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to say, too, is on the energy price front. That's been a big benefit. That is one thing we will lose next year. Is yeah. you're not going to see energy prices fall 17 percent again That's next right. year. That's right. So a headline number might not decline as much next year as people think, 
but also there's going to be some offsets with again the shelter that that is i think gosh i think it's like 70 it was 70 percent we said of the increase that's going to be i think a decline next year as well in terms of the impact it has on cpi so there's a lot of different inputs and, and takeaways that you need to look at with these reports exactly so um also too, let's go on because uh, another important factor that we look at is a uh, ppi which is the producer price index which kind of sets what the cpi can can come out with because the producers raise their price uh, you know, it's going to hit the consumer. But uh, the PPI was even better than the CPI report as it showed positive signs for cooling inflation. In the month of June, the PPI was up just 0.1% uh, compared to last year. In June 2022, the PPI showed a huge increase of 11.2%. And energy prices, again, provided a major benefit to the report. But even core PPI, which excludes the food and energy, that was up just 2.6%. So, I mean, again, very close to the Fed's target of 2%, we'll call it. And then also, when we look at that CPI report, I just don't see inflation being that problem as we exit the year. And when you look at the PPI, I think one big reason why that was essentially flat compared to last year and the CPI still had a gain was what's not in the PPI? The shelter costs. Oh, yeah, that's right. So that's something else that I, I think it's almost more true inflation because you don't have the impact of the shelter there. Yeah, and, and that is uh, a very important factor because, I mean, although shelter is important, but if you own your home, you know, and you've got the mortgage rate locked in, it's, it's not going to affect you. You have essentially zero inflation on that. Yeah. I was thinking you do have the increase in property taxes if your property value is increasing. Uh, it, obviously, it, it changes on where you're at. I know here in San Diego, we do have, what, Prop 13, so it kind of right. slows the gain of property taxes. I know other areas, they don't have that. But that's really the only impact that you would have. Maybe the cost of insurance could go up on the home. But obviously, your mortgage is not changing if you have a, a fixed mortgage there. Yeah, and the property tax here in California can only increase by a certain amount, which no matter what inflation does, I think they increase it every year anyway. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah think. but so. it, it's still better than had you gone with the, the rate of price increase that we've yeah, seen in San true. Diego over the last, we'll call it 30 years. <laughs> well, well, speaking of that, uh, let's talk about the real estate market because in recent data from the National Association of Realtors, it was found that nearly 40% of Americans between the ages of 25 and 44 who bought homes last year plan to stay in them for 16 years or more. Now, that sounds problematic given the, the lack of uh, inventory, but over the next five years, I believe many of these survey respondents will change their mind. This mainly stems from life changes like marriage, having kids, and hate to say it, even divorce. Now, on the other side, I do not believe interest rates will remain this high on mortgages, and we could see rates settle around the 5% level. Now, why I believe they will not fall back into the 3% <laughs> range, that, that is, I don't think, going to happen in your time. I don't even know if 3%. Right, my time. Yeah. What are you saying? I, I can live that long? I don't even know what's going to happen <laughs> in my time either. I, yeah, I don't think it was a sub 3%. Yeah, right. I mean, right. that was a, a huge, I'm going to say, anomaly in terms of the, those mortgage rates. But it, the thing I look at here is it is much easier to give up your 3% mortgage for, let's say, a 5% mortgage instead of trading in for a 7% mortgage, especially if you've outgrown your current residence. Now, the real estate market is very strange right now, but I believe with time it, it, it'll normalize. Right. And, and I think people, they know about the interest rate, but I think they look more at the payment. And like, you know what? Uh, we've got a three-bedroom house. We now have four kids, a small backyard. Uh, our payment now, I'm throwing out numbers, is $2,500. Uh, we've been here for five years. Uh, I'm now making more money. My wife's making more money. 
the pay, the new payment of the new house will be 3200 a month. We can afford it. Let's do it. They're not going to say, well, I'm not going to do it because I got a 3% mortgage versus a 5 Maybe even a 6% mortgage. You're going to do it because you can afford the payment and you want that house to raise your family in. And it's very easy to sit <clears> here <throat> and say that right now. But again, two, three, four years past, things change. Yeah. That's when I think, you know, as we were saying, people will look at it and say, you know, I can afford it. And then that's when I think you'll you'll start to see the change. Because right now I think there's like a million homes on the market in terms of the inventory right. across the entire country. That is such a low inventory <laughs> that I think we will see, again, more homes come on the market over time because I think people will kind of have that natural process of progress, right. really, at the end of the day. And, and we do uh, on the show and our newsletter, we, we do talk a lot about surveys. We read a lot of surveys. You have to understand the data. And when they said, well, is it 16 years? That's because they're just in there now. Like, oh yeah, I'm happy. I'm never gonna, they're not thinking ahead. When people check a survey, yeah, no, why would I leave? They're, they're not sitting down and really thinking through like, like we yeah. just did. So that's why when we, when we talk about this data, these surveys that we do, we analyze them and say, does this really make sense? And I, I think, and I think before the average person I, I, I'm I throwing out was in a home for maybe seven to 10 years. I don't think it was even close. It could be, yeah. yeah. So we, we, we need a real estate person to kind of tell us that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, well, let's talk about AT&T because people say, like, why do they want to talk about AT&T? Well, AT&T has seen its stock price struggle over the last few years, and it could get worse. On Monday, July 10th, in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article from their investigative reporting team titled, Telecom giants left behind miles of toxic lead cables. It was on the front page and two full pages in the front section discussing how AT&T and other telecom giants have left behind a network of cables covered in toxic lead that stretches across the United States under the water, in the soil, and on the poles overhead. Unfortunately, I know what f uh, follows, which will be a number of lawsuits from legal firms across the country. Uh, we believe over the next six months or so, as a company defends itself against these lawsuits, it probably will have to cut the dividend, and there could be a decline of at least 20% or more on the stock price. Now, this company had such a bright future in the next six months as they had other expenses that were falling off, their cash flow is gonna increase, it looked very, very good. But we now see the same future for AT&T as what 3M has been going through over the last couple of years with their stock price cut in half, and then they will have to pay out billions of dollars in settlements. In today's society, lawsuits continue to mount, costing businesses of all sizes, from small to large, hundreds of billions of dollars in settlements and legal fees. Now, until there is more clarity on the situation, I just I couldn't re recommend a buy on the AT&T stock. It's just the potential liability could be huge, and you know there hasn't been anything yet on the lawsuits, but just in the society we live in, as we said, I just don't see how there won't be any coming forward. Yeah, and, and in the article, I mean, I've read the article. It was a very, very long article. They, and I, Wall Street Journal must have spent so much money on this because they hired uh, firms for in um, the, the soil, calculating how much lead was in the soil or in the water, and they did interviews of different people, and they, they said like 350 bus stops where kids go, there's uh, cables overhead that were leaking the, the, the lead. And it doesn't take much lead, I guess, in your body to have a problem. I mean, they, they, they said they're talking about uh, fertility, uh, people with learning disabilities. I mean, it just goes on and on the list they had. I mean, knowing how our society has become so litigious, uh, I'm surprised we're not seeing those lawsuits yet, but I, 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 and I feel bad because AT&T, they were making that turnaround. They got rid of uh, 
uh, the streaming. The, the streaming. They, they, they said, we're going to focus on the fiber, the, the cell. Like, great, this is perfect. Um, now I think their, their future, and what worries me is that these lawsuits could, because uh, they, they didn't have, they had a decent balance sheet, but not a stellar balance sheet. Yep. They could be forced into bankruptcy because they just can't afford to pay the even the settlements. We'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. Or, I mean, even if they have to go through and clean up all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, that would be extremely costly, too. I mean, because I think you said even there was, like, cabling under, like, Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And it's like, that'd be hard to remove. Uh, I mean, this is just something that the, the potential liability is so large that, I mean, the valuations, the numbers, everything looks great on AT&T, but the, the potential liability is, is huge. And one thing we look at is I'm not willing to risk capital on that because until we know what that liability is, I mean, the balance sheet is, as you said, at risk and right. something comes in, it could just destroy AT&T and, and Verizon for that matter too. Yeah, Verizon was another one that, because uh, they were a spinoff many years ago from AT&T and, and AT&T and Verizon saying, well, they're not ours. It's like, no, you guys laid, yeah. <laughs> laid those cables. And they even said that uh, they went back to a, an expert from AT&T and said, well, the problem was back then if we removed them, we were worried about disturbing them and have the lead released. It's like, sorry, that, that eventually that's gonna get out, so you have to remove them. You have to figure out a way to do it. So even the cost of, say that they don't have the lawsuits, or the threat comes in, you gotta remove those. That's still gonna be a very expensive thing. And, and, I, and I, AT&T had all the potential going forward uh, to collect that nice dividend, uh, and it had, uh, as I said, great cash flow. I mean, things looking really good. This is going to be a terrible thing for AT and T. Yeah, I know they got hit hard yesterday with a downgrade, uh, and again, I, I was kind of surprised the downgrade didn't mention the lawsuits. It just mentioned uh, increased competition coming going forward. I was like, gosh, I mean, I, we'll see what happens. But I mean, we know the society we live in, and again, that I just don't see how attorneys aren't aren't licking their chops, so to speak, getting ready yeah. for this. Yeah, because uh, there, there's lawsuits like uh, the, the one with 3M uh, about the, ear, I think it was one of the earplugs. earplugs. I mean, that is so hard to prove. This one with AT&T, like, no, we've tested. Uh, it's leaking lead. Sorry. Yeah. Pay us. Well, yeah. I, we talked about this earlier this week, obviously, after you read the article there. And, you know, it reminded me of uh, lumber liquidators as well. Oh, yeah. And that was one where they found the formaldehyde yep. in, I think, the flooring. And, I mean, the stock was, gosh, in the hundreds. And then it fell to, like, I think at one point under $10 a share. And then it did recover a little bit. And then we looked at it. It's now, uh, I think, L&L flooring. It's no longer named lumber liquidators. probably had to change their right. name to try and change <laughs> the perception. Yeah, yeah, get away from it. But I think their stock's now still, we said, in single digits. I, I think mean, it was $1.48. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, yeah. and, and so, I mean, because again, you, you've got to pay these lawsuits or, and if you don't pay the lawsuits, you got the settlements, whatever, whatever it is and, and the cost of defending it. And, and you know, you, and I hate doing that, but uh, will AT&T be a buy down the road? I, I don't think I know. We've talked about uh, 3M. You just don't know what that liability is. Yep. So you you got to be careful there. Well, well, let's open the phone lines for questions. Uh, 833 Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. And as always, get you through for that un unbiased, uh, no strings attached, 
fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. We also do take uh, emails uh, at our website, uh, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Send us an email on a company or an investment question you have. We got one here from, it looks like uh, Zach, says, uh, thanks, for thanks for the continued excellence and in investment uh, content every week. If you get a chance, could you look into Taiwan Semiconductors, TSM? I hold a small percentage. I understand that there is some political risk, but as someone who studies history, I just don't see Z, I think is the way you say it, right? Oh, President Xi. Xi, Xi, President Xi, uh, invading Taiwan uh, anytime soon. Of course, I could be totally wrong. Regardless, could you to crunch the numbers? Their P is lower than the industry, and some of the other metrics like net margin and return on equity are impressive but is the stock overextended at the moment? Uh, thanks as always, uh, Zach. So let's take a look at uh, uh, Taiwan Semiconductors. And, and why I'm kind of pulling this up here and getting my computer going here, uh, I, I agree with him. I, I, I don't think that there's gonna be any invasion soon, but it's sometimes a, the lingering effect that will it happen? What will they do? And I believe it's in Arizona. They are building a factory, right? Oh, yeah, it's a huge factory. Uh, but I was going to say, I, I think this past week or last week, uh, they were talking about relationships with Taiwan. And then they had like kind of like an aggressive flyover of a Taiwan. China, China, China had an yeah. aggressive flyover of Taiwan. And, you know, I, I, I just don't know if they're trying to like flex their muscle. And, uh, you know, we'll look at the numbers, but just. I would need this at a discount and a, a good discount to feel comfortable investing in it because of that risk. If this is an expensive company trading at, you know, 15, 20 times earnings, I'd say, I don't think it's worth the risk because if they did invade, I mean, you would have a huge decline oh, yeah. in the stock. So I, I'm very curious to see the numbers here. And, and the other thing too, just coming to that before we do the numbers is that uh, the invasion from Russia into Ukraine has not gone the way Russia wanted it to. No. I think China is kind of watching like, and, and also to how the world kind of backed Ukraine. Yeah, uh, China does have a lot of things around the world. They do have a lot of trade around the world now. They don't want to destroy that. So it, it's, it's possible China does worry me, as I've said many times before, but I do not see any time soon that they're gonna go in into uh, Taiwan. Uh, let's look at the numbers on Taiwan semiconductors, symbol is TSM. They are in the industry of semiconductors. Uh, only 17.1% institutional ownership. I know it's a foreign com company, so maybe there's something on that. It's a, what, an ADR? ADR, yeah. yeah. ADR, so maybe that kind of throws it off a little bit. Uh, look at the valuations of PE ratio. It does look decent, uh, 17 versus 37.8. Price to sales, 7.4 versus 6.7. Price to tangible book value, 5.6. The industry is well over 500, so that's a big positive for Taiwan Semiconductors. And price of cash flow, 10.4 versus 21.4. Peg ratio, 1 versus 8.5. So still looking very good on the valuation ratios. As far as the growth goes, uh, earnings per share over the last year up 31.5%. The industry was down 0.9. And sales climbed by 21.5%. And the industry fell by 6.2%. We do see the five-year estimated growth rate from the analysts, 21.5% for Taiwan Semiconductors, only 12.9% for the industry. They do pay a dividend of 1.7%, a little bit on the low side for me. I like to see a little bit higher, especially since they only use 28% of the earnings to pay that out. But I guess you got to pay for that $20 billion factory in Arizona, so that's reinvesting back into the business there. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, current ratio 2.3 versus 2.9. That's good. Debt equity, very good as well, 0.3, about half the industry at 0.6. 
Looking at the net profit margin, wow, 43.7% versus 18.2%. Return on equity, also very good. It's another wow, 32.4 versus 23.3. And return on invested capital, also good, 25.5 versus 16.4. Chase? Yeah, so current price here for Taiwan Semiconductor, again, their ticker symbol TSM, $105.14. The 52-week high, $110.69. So getting close to that 52-week high again. And the low, wow, $59.43. Year-to-date, the stock's up 42.5%. We go out to December 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share of $6.23. Unfortunately, it gives us a target sell price of just $103.42, so below that current price of around $105. Uh, as I kind of said earlier, it's I, I would want this stock, this company, at a discount, and it, it's, I'm going to say, essentially fairly valued. I do like, obviously, the, the semiconductor space. We know that it's going to keep yes. growing in terms of how much technology that we need in, in those semis. But, uh, gosh, uh, not getting it at a discount. Right. And and uh, I, I've got this book uh, called The Chip Wars. Uh, I get married today. I'm going on my honeymoon. Don't tell my wife to be. I'll probably be reading this book on the honeymoon. <laughs> That's, that'll be a re- relaxation there. Uh, but we know that chips is going to be a place that you want to be at. Yeah. Uh, and and they're, they're going to be more and more. But no matter what it is, you can't overpay for the businesses. You've got to be patient. And we want to add a good quality chip company in our company. We've talked about it. Uh, we're sitting on a lot of cash now. We made a couple of sales. Uh, but we, we, we just don't want to jump into something just to buy something. I want to buy a chip company because I think five years down the road, we'll be very happy we did. But I want to get a good price on that. And unfortunately, Taiwan Semiconductors, uh, not a good buy. Well, and the thing I look at too is is they are I'm going to say kind of the the top company in uh, manufacturing the chips. Yeah. You know, they don't do the chip design; they just manufacture the chips there. And I think it's what them and Samsung pretty much are hold most of the the capacity for right. manufacturing of these chips. And sometimes that's nice, but other times we know Intel's trying to get into this mm-hmm. space. Is Intel starts coming in, or maybe there's another company that starts coming in and starts just taking off a little bit of that market share. Even though the overall market for chips is growing, Taiwan Semi could start to lose some of that market share, which could hurt their valuation as well. And what we always talk about, too, is supply demand. Uh, I mean, if you increase that supply, prices have to come down. What I say the net profit margin was on uh, on, on their uh, their, business. business where where's the net profit margin where where is it there 43.7 yeah yeah so so if you have intel coming in because they're, they're spending a lot of money to go to manufacturing there could be some other small companies out there as well trying to take advantage of it um to compete they could have to bring it down yeah so and i'm talking about the, their profit margin where it goes from a 44 percent we'll call it down to maybe 34 percent. well that's going to hurt earnings so um competition uh, is, is good for consumer uh as warren buffett said he likes business with a moat no moat here. He, I think he held Taiwan Semiconductor, sold it rather yeah, quickly. Yeah, and I, we never know if it's him doing it or his lieutenants. I forget their names. I uh, think it's Todd Combs and Ted Wexler. Or it's Todd right. and Ted. I don't Todd remember and Ted. <laughs> which one goes with what last name. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but but I mean, they held it and then they sold it very quickly. Uh, and I was wondering if Warren talked to us like, no, no, get, get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a value company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, so, so Zach, I, I hope that helps out. But uh, yeah, gr- great business. But again, looking forward. Uh, also, great industry to be in. And there could be a pullback. I mean, we have seen technology just 
go up dramatically this year. You that just, does not last. You just buy NVIDIA. Every single day <laughs> NVIDIA goes up. And just for our listeners, I'm being facetious here. We do not like NVIDIA. Right. I think it's now up 232% or something like that for the year. So, again, congratulations if you've held it. But I just – it can't go up. Every, I, I saw the PE ratio the other day. It's like now 132 or something crazy. And that's – Cisco hit 100 times earnings during the tech boom and bust. Yep. And it, it's, I think, something very curious what's going to happen when they report earnings this time because I will give them credit. They had a huge beat. I, right. I mean, a, a historic beat, I'm going to say, on their last earnings report. I mean, it was unheard of. They they, they destroyed their earnings. And, and, again, that was amazing what they did. But can they replicate that again? Right. Probably not because now people are anticipating yep. that. Yeah. And, and that's what you have to kind of think about is that what you're paying for these businesses. And we are value investors. We want to make sure we get a good value. Uh, we're not going to buy the Teslas. We're not going to buy the NVIDIAs. Uh, at one point, we did buy Google many years ago. We did have Apple, but they were value companies. We want to get a good return on the investment based on reasonable valuations, not to say that things won't happen with a uh, NVIDIA. I mean, it's going to happen. We're going to miss those because, uh, you know, we just can't predict what the growth is going to be. And, and the, the hard part is, and you know I, I've talked about this before on the show, is knowing your discipline and your process. Because the people that have done well on NVIDIA don't know why they picked NVIDIA. They, I, oh, they not, will tell you they did. They, they, they I know. knew that was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> but they're not going to be able to replicate that in finding right. another company. And what they're going to do, and it, again, I'll use Tesla as a great example. People made money off Tesla, and then they thought, oh. Rivian is going to be like the yeah. same exact thing. And then they bought Rivian at 100 and now I think it's gone up lately, but I think it's still around like maybe $25, $30 yeah. a share. Yeah, it went from 12 to 25 <laughs> <laughs> So you bought it at 12 I guess, congratulations. But if you bought it at 100 you're still down substantially. And I think that's the problem with people when they look at these growth stocks. Is Again, congratulations, you have done very well. And we sold Apple. We sold Alphabet, Google. We held it when it was okay. Google. Too soon, so to speak. But... It hit our metrics. We know our discipline. We know our process because you talk to people a lot of times. Yeah, I've I've picked the Nvidia's, but then when you talk to them a little more, yeah, I've had some other big losers though. Right, right. It's because they don't have a process when they're investing. And they will say they picked it, but then you find out how much it was. Well, yeah, it was like point one percent of my portfolio. Yeah. So, but and then they lose other money. Yeah. So and and to let people know, we run a uh, uh, individualized concentrated value portfolio. Concentration means. We generally invest about 6% of the portfolio into each investment. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're getting a good quality investment, and we know it's going to have volatility that's going to happen, but not the volatility that, like a Cisco, and I think Cisco's still never back to where it was 20 nope. years ago. Nope. You know? And the same thing could, could be with NVIDIA. And we just talked about it with uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. Competition. What NVIDIA does, some other company could be in somebody's garage they're they're replicating that and doing better than what they are and that's why our economy is so great and and you know you know our, our structure is so great because of competition that's how we continue to get better by competition and one thing i will say is just sitting here thinking while you're talking is with these chip designers mm -hmm. we know that amazon apple kind of talked about maybe designing their own chips and apple yeah. has designed some of their own chips for the phones now yeah Maybe they start saying, we need the Taiwan semiconductors. We need you know, Intel, perhaps, when they're manufacturing the chips. Yeah, but we don't really need the NVIDIA. We're going to actually design our own chips now going yeah. forward. Yeah. So, I mean, that is something that could happen as well. Because one thing with the Taiwan semiconductors is it's it, there's more barriers to entry. Because 
we're talking about that huge plant they're building. Yeah, it's With the NVIDIAs, it's it's kind of the intelligence, which, you know, it's hard to replicate intelligence, obviously, to design those chips. But if you can find other intelligent people, it's a lot easier to find people to do that than to build a $20 billion <laughs> facility. Right, right. <laughs> and, and what about how you're keeping those engineers or those managers that are doing it where somebody else might say, you know, you're making, I don't know, $500,000 a year now. We'll pay you 700000 to come to us. So they got to retain their labor capital, their, yeah. their, their um, uh, human factor. So, yeah, a lot of reasons to be careful there. All right, phone numbers here. All lines are still open, uh, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Time to talk to our financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. Harrison, how are you doing today? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How about you? Well, good, good. I know today we're talking about transitioning into retirement. That sounds like exciting. I think it can be scary for people as well. And that's really the, the point, Brad. It can it can be scary. So when you're working, um, you know, for the most part, you have a consistent paycheck coming in. So that brings a sense of security for a lot of people. Um, while you're working, the market goes up and down, and you might see that reflected in your 401k or other investment accounts. Um, and you probably don't like to see it go down, but at least you're not relying on the income from retirement accounts while you have a job. And along the way, you're probably contributing to those accounts. But when you transition into retirement, there are a few things that happen. First, you lose your paycheck, and that can feel scary because for your entire career, working has been a consistent, reliable source of income, and now that's gone. Second, you change from saving money into those retirement accounts to withdrawing money from those retirement accounts. And for a lot of people, this can feel backwards because our whole lives were told that we need to save money. Now you have to begin dipping into those savings. And then third, you're going to experience market downturns in retirement. That's just a fact of investing. It doesn't matter if you're in value, growth, real estate, bonds. At some point, probably many times during retirement, you will see negative returns temporarily. Now, the only way to really avoid that is to sit in cash, which might feel safe in the short term, but it also ensures that you're not going to be successful long term. So um, it, it's going to happen. But that doesn't necessarily mean that market downturns need to unhinge your retirement plan. Um, so during the overall transition, you lose your paycheck, you have to begin withdrawing from accounts, and you're going to experience those market declines. And for many people, this can be a really distressing situation, which can lead to emotional decisions and therefore mistakes. So for anyone nearing retirement, you need to prepare for the reality of what that means for your finances, and you need to make sure you fully understand and are comfortable with how your assets are going to be invested and produce cash flow for you even through those market downturns. There are many cases out there where someone is financially ready to retire, but once they do, their emotions get the best of them and they run into trouble. Um, while people are working, they generally don't pay as much attention to their accounts, but then when they retire, they've got all this free time and they spend all the time watching the market and they drive themselves crazy, changing <laughs> philosophies, selling at the wrong time, buying at the wrong time, where if they just had a disciplined um, investment philosophy and stuck with it, they'd be a lot better off. So it's not enough to have a bunch of money going into retirement. You also have to have a strategy of how that money needs to be invested through the decade-long retirement that you may have. 
And, and you know, Harrison, as you're, you're talking, I'm listening to you, and, and we were just talking about NVIDIA and the growth stocks and so forth, and we, we say, yes, we're value investors. Well, in retirement, as you mentioned, you're gonna have negative returns, but this is why value, in, value investing an advisor or a firm who know what's going on is very important. We, we're talking to somebody, we're looking at this 401k for a company, and the person we're talking to said that uh, the current gentleman uh, actually sends out this newsletter, and it's very generic. Well, there's advisors out there that don't even really know what they're doing. They will have a marketing newsletter just to send out a newsletter. Everything Chase and I do that we send out, like the newsletter that we, we write and talk here on the show is from our own research. We understand what's going on. It's so important in retirement to have an advisor you can turn to that knows what's going on as opposed to just paying some company to send you out some marketing newsletter just to make you feel like, feel good. Yeah, and I did wanna also kind of go back to that point Harrison had and, and kind of replicate it is the, the people in retirement focus too much on the, the accounts yes, because it, it's so funny. They, they, they've they done so well and they're like, yeah, no, I've done well in my 401k. Well, why'd you do it? Yeah, they didn't look at it. And look at it. And then all of a sudden they get in retirement. Oh no, I need to change my philosophy and I, I can't buy stocks. And you're like, but you just said you had done so well in your 401k. <laughs> it's just such an interesting concept. And I, I think that's again, where the, the trust in the process and again, understanding your philosophy, especially in retirement is so important because if you understand why you're investing a certain way, you're going to be a lot less likely to look at it and panic during the downturns. Because as Harrison said, they're going to happen. Yep. It, it, especially you, you could be retired for now 30, maybe 40. Some people could be, be retired now for 40 years. Yeah, I'm pretty confident we're going to have some downturns <laughs> over the next 40 years. <laughs> yeah, I really like that uh, that analogy that, Brent, you had a couple weeks ago that um, your investments are like a bar of soap. Uh, the more you touch them, uh, the smaller it gets because, I mean, in many cases, that's true. And when we experience volatility, sometimes our clients will come to us and say, oh, should we make a change? Well, what should we do? And it's like, no, we have the discipline. We're still doing the right things. That doesn't mean we need to go, you know, sell something and pivot or buy something and pivot or whatever it is. The philosophy makes sense and the overall purpose of investing is to generate cash flow. Um, and, you know, again, going back to this transition of going into retirement, it's a whole lot easier, I think, to invest while you're working because, you know, all you got to do is throw money into your account. It kind of goes up and down and over a career of 30 to 40 years, yeah, it's going to accumulate some money. But once you transition into now you have to withdraw from that account and that's your primary income source and there's market volatility, it's a lot more difficult to stick to your discipline um, just seeing those account balances go down. And so you before you go through that, you have to understand the philosophy that you're going to uh, be comfortable with and stick with it. Because if you don't have it, you, you're almost guaranteed to, to make mistakes in retirement, which is going to either cause your retirement to fail, you have to go back to work, or you, you're just going to cause yourself to you know have a lower level of income than, than you were planning for. And, and Harrison, I want to point out that at our firm, Wilson Asset Management, I, I, I don't know of any other firm that does this. Again, Chase and I manage money. You're a financial planner. Most firms that I know of, I, and again, I don't know one that does it the same way, is the financial planner also manages the money. We are different in that respect because you spend your time on the financial planning. And if someone has, and, and this is, if somebody has like, like a, a lot of real estate, they're afraid to come to an investment firm because, oh, sell the real estate and, and, and invest with us. 
with you, that doesn't happen. I know you have clients that have real estate that want to do financial planning, but they want to keep their real estate. Um, they can talk to you because you're on a salary. You're not going to sell them annuities. You're not going to try to uh, get them out of something if it's the right thing for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, most of the people I work with actually invest in real estate, and a lot of people I work with have investments at with other advisors, or they do some themselves, and and that's that's fine. Um, you know, my job is just to understand the whole picture and make recommendations on you know cash flow and tax planning and, and increasing levels of income. So my job is not to say, okay, great, just give your money to Brent Chase. Um, my job is to look at the planning and and help people through that transition. Yep. And I think that's very unique in the industry because most of the times a financial planner wants to get that money to put under management, sell mutual funds or something. Your case, a fee-based planner, completely unbiased. Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, have a great uh, Saturday and we'll, well, I won't see you on Monday because I'll we'll be, see him today. I'll see you today. That's right. You're, you're going to be at the wedding. Yep. So I'll see you at the wedding tonight. <laughs> okay. Yep, we'll see you guys at the wedding. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. All right. Yeah. I, I forgot. I'm getting married today. All right. <laughs> Just so into the show. <laughs> I know. Well, I love doing this show. I mean, you know, people say, you're going to do this show on your wedding date? Well, it's not until five o'clock. I can still, and I love doing this. I love managing money. I love talking to people on the radio. I, I, it's just, after doing this for 40 years, it's still exciting to me. I can't help it. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> Phone number's here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Marcos and... Oh, did you have something? I did, but we'll go to Phil first, and then I want to talk about my golf tournament. Oh, that's right, with the golf tournament. Okay, so we're going to do Phil, uh, then we'll do the golf tournament. Okay, uh, let's go to Phil in uh, San Marcos. Phil, good morning. You're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. Uh, wanted to talk about Duke Energy, uh, D-U-K. I used to own them a while back. Um, they weren't like the sexiest of picks. I liked them for their st stability held them for about a year. Um, this was back in like 2021. I think they had single digit valuation. I like the four to 5% dividend growth. I've seen they've, they're down this year and was looking for you guys to give your uh, opinion on their valuations. Okay, well, let's take a look at the Duke Energy, symbol is D-U-K. They're in the utilities regulated electric industry. Uh, not much flow down it for the short side, 1.1%. Only 65% institutional owned. I'm surprised it's not higher than that. Uh, we do see a P-E ratio of 19.1. That is below the industry at 27.6. Price to sales, 2.5 versus 1.8. Price to tangible book value, 2.6. That's very good because the energy is at 11.6. And price to cash flow, 12.5. Same as the industry. The peg ratio tells you the measurement of growth going forward, what you're paying for it, 2.7 versus 12. Now, unfortunately, the last year, we do see earnings fail by 1.2%. The industry is up 18.7. I do wonder did they have some type of expenses they, they paid or something there. I'd want to look into that more because I see on the sales side, Sales are up 7.5%, uh, not quite as good as the industry at 11.6. On the five-year growth rate, 5.7, about the same as the industry at 5.9. You get a 4.3% dividend, and here again, the payout ratio tells me I think they had some expenses because the payout ratio shows 
129%. So you got to look at that income statement to see did they have some write-offs or, or what happened there. Uh, on the balance sheet, current ratio 0.8 versus 0.9. A little bit disappointed with that because the and utilities are high debt, but still 1.6 debt to equity, same as the industry. I wish that was a little bit lower. Net profit margin, 8.6. That is better than the industry at 7.6. And return to equity of 4.9. 10.2. So kind of a mixed bag here. Some good and bad. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure it's Duke Energy, obviously. I wasn't sure if they were a utility or an oil company. Obviously, they're a utility. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of surprised. I'm, I'm going to run through the numbers here, obviously. But I I thought that utilities would kind of go on sale a little bit more with these rising interest rates. Because historically, yeah. they are you know have a little bit heavier leverage. So as the, the interest rates rise, well, then their interest expense will go up and then it kind of dings them. And, you know, when I look at the numbers, I mean, yeah, it's, it's down a little bit because the current price for Duke is 9301. The 52-week high, though, is 11367. So it's declined, but not as much as I guess I was anticipating. I just looked up Simpra as well. It's another SDG&E right. company, and they're not down that much either. So I was hmm. kind of surprised by that. The 52-week low, though, for Duke Energy, $83.76. I go out to December 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share of $5.97. Gives us a target sell price of $99.10. Forward PE here is about 15.6. So it's not overpriced, but it, it's not really enticing. This would be in what we call our hold category because it's, I think, gosh, less than 10% away from its target sell price. So we'd either have to see the price fall more or the earnings go up. Uh, I, I do see over the last, uh, what, 90 days earnings, well, they're about the same. They haven't really moved. Uh, yeah. And utility, you, you kind of expect that, not a lot of movement. Um, so it's just uh, just a good, solid business, but not not on sale. And I, I just, because I, I like the utilities. Cause, I mean, you look at the earnings growth here, it's like ah, 6.7%. The next year is about 6%. So, I mean, you're never going to get 20% earnings growth on a utility, but you get that nice mid-single-digit growth every single year on them. I mean, it's just a very simplistic business, which I like. You do got to be careful with some of these utilities, though, because they do trade options uh, on energy, which sometimes yes. can ding them. So, and El Semper is known for that. Yeah, yeah. so you, that's one thing you, you really got to understand if you were looking at a utility. But uh, right now, I, I just I, I keep an eye on it for a potential watch list company. But as Brent said, need this to fall a little bit more or have earnings go up to, to justify an investment at this point. How far was it from the target sell price? Gosh, I, I think it'd probably be somewhere around 10, 10. Well, let's see. The current price is 9301. Target sell price is 99. So that's going to be less than 10%. Yeah. So it had to fall a fair amount before it, it, it'd be worth it. Or the earnings would have to go up, which they won't go up that much because it's a regulated industry. So um, yeah, it'd probably have to fall down below 80, be my guess. Yeah. So, All right, Phil, does that help you out? Yeah, it does. Thanks, guys, and congrats, Brent. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Have, have a later. good one. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, we <laughs> want to talk about the golf tournament. Uh, yeah, and this is, this is what, the third consecutive year you're doing the yeah, golf tournament for charity? Yeah, third annual golf tournament for my charity, the Fighters Fight Foundation. So we're going to do it at the RBN again. It's actually coming up on August 19th, so we still got about a month for it. But I wanted to bring it up today because we're doing priority pricing this year. Oh, okay. And... Priority pricing expires on July 18th, so next week. So it's uh, you get a little discount by signing up early. But, you know, it's a great golf tournament. I make sure we have a great time out there on the course. Mm -hmm. Everything's included. So you get beer, seltzers, uh, tacos are, are part of it as well. And then, obviously, a great time on the golf course. So want to put it out there for people. Uh, it does help, again, my charity, which is the Fighters Fight Foundation, raises money for uh, women fighting breast cancer. We provide them with like unforgettable experiences. Right now, the most popular one we've been doing is actually a spa day at the Ranch oh. Bernardo Inn. 
and you know I've I've gotten great feedback from women just because one thing I wanted to focus on was it's not just them and one woman told me she said you know I'm so glad this includes my husband because he's gone through so much taking me to the appointments oh, yeah. and it's something that I think is so valuable to them and it's it's really been awesome to kind of hear from the women how much it impacts them and how appreciative they are of the experience we're providing and I want to bring up the golf tournament too because I will tell you we've had more experiences this year so far year to date than in the prior years but we're running low on money so we, <laughs> we need some help that's why the golf tournament is so important but you want to register for that go to our website it's the fightersfightfoundation.com again the fightersfightfoundation.com or you can send me an email uh meet us on our website there but um yeah it's gonna be a great time again august 19th at the rancho bernardo inn if you like golf please join us it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun also too if you are a business owner we do have sponsorship opportunities available and uh i was not the tournament last year but i have been at prior the prior year to that i was um, i i think i had a conflict last year but uh we had clients go to it mm -hmm. and and everybody loves it they talk about, well this is one of the best ones we go to because it's it's you know it's just fun. I mean, people liked it. You did a great job doing it. Uh, you're not paying uh, a lot of money out. A lot of the money goes to the charity. Um, it, it's just a great cause. And, and again, there's other people trying to, you know, find the cure for cancer, but you're bringing it home down to people where it's like, how can we help you? Because we know you're going through a hard time. It, it's just unique what you did. I'm again, congratulate to you for coming up with this concept and doing this uh, for your your aunt. Yeah, yeah. It's based off my aunt. She passed away from breast cancer in 2020. So I wanted to do something to honor her and seeing kind of firsthand how it impacted her. I wanted to, you know, actually give back in a way that I, I know was going to be impactful and, and help people directly rather than something that, you know, you don't really see the impact of. But um, yeah, it, it's I, I, very proud of what we've done. And, you know, my volunteers are great. I couldn't do it without them. And I will say the one big thing I'm, I'm very proud of is nobody takes a salary at my charity. You know, I, we like to kind of keep it small. We call it our, our, our village, so to speak, of, of helpers. And, you know, as I said, nobody takes any payments from it. So all the money that we raise does go to the women. We do have administrative costs with like QuickBooks and stuff like that right. to, to, to do the operations. But there's no salaries or anything. I mean, say somebody can contribute. Do you need more volunteers at all? Or do you, are you? And we didn't talk about this ahead of time, so no. I'm just asking the question. Maybe you don't need them, but I just thought I'd bring that up there too. I mean, yeah, if you want to get involved, I'm always uh, looking for people to help. So Cool. All right. Well, good. What's the website again? TheFightersFightFoundation.com. Yeah, fightersfightfoundation.com. Pretty easy to remember that. Yep. Everything spelled out pretty good for you. Yeah, and the reason I, I named it that too was just, uh, you know, my grandpa used to call my Aunt Rocky when she was fighting uh, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And in the movie Rocky, he said something along the lines of, you know, because that's what fighters do, you know, fighters fight essentially. So. Yep. Very cool. One more time, the foundation. Fightersfightfoundation.com. Cool. Let's talk about uh, something here because we talked about earlier about um, the, the strike in Hollywood and labor and so forth. So let's talk about the Hollywood strike because Hollywood is now on strike as a national board of the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. Wow, it's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> unanimously voted in favor of a strike uh, late Thursday morning in California. It's the first actor strike since 1980. It's the first time that both actors and writers have been on strike in 63 years. Now, there's famous actors like Matt Damon and Jamie Lee Curtis that have spoken out in favor of the strike. You know, and I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do, it. do I it. I just find it interesting that these actors are fighting for more benefits when Damon has an estimated net worth of $170 million and made $26 million for each of the Born Supremacy and Born Ultimatum movies. I mean, 
it's almost like, oh, no, yeah, they need to get paid more, and you guys need to give up your money. But, no, I, I wouldn't take a pay cut. Right. And, I mean, I, I looked at, you know, Bob Backish, who's the CEO of um, Paramount. Yeah. And he made $30 million last year. Right. That's great. But he only had a $3 million salary. The rest is in stock-based compensation. And Paramount stock has not done well over the last year. So if you actually look at that, he didn't make $30 million, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> he lost yeah. it. Right? And, yeah. I mean, he provides so much value to that company. I think the CFO made like $6 million. Right. And that includes a lot of stock-based compensation there as well. So it's just... I don't know, these actors that are, are talking about helping the little guy essentially say, well, why don't you sacrifice some of your pay? Yeah, because why don't you give up, if, I think you said $26 million for each of, of the born supremacy. Yeah. Why do you need $26 million? Why don't you say, you know what, why don't you give more to the other people that have helped me become successful um, as opposed to charging the consumer? But I will tell you, I have no problem with him making $26 million. I have a problem with him saying that essentially somebody else has to sacrifice, not him. Right. Well, yeah, because that's what we're trying to say is that, yeah, you make $26 million, but as far as you saying you need to make the $26 million, you should make the $26 million, and but I'm not going to help everybody else out. I want other people to do it. And you're, 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 the point you're trying to make is that he's he, he shouldn't be doing it, I, yep. I, I think what you're saying. I, I think I'm a little bit different. I'm saying... No, give up some of your twenty-six million for these other people. I, I, because I just, I think he does create value, and there's right. a reason he got paid twenty-six oh, yeah. million dollars. Right. So I, I don't have an issue with the pay. I just have an issue with his his stance there of talking right. about and the other actors as well. It's like, oh no, we're we're gonna strike and do this. And the other thing too is these studios are not booming right now. They're in the middle of a very very difficult transition going to right. streaming, where they're bleeding cash flow right. trying to make this transition, and it's like. So you want them to dole out more money during a very difficult transition. You could actually cost people a lot of jobs because right. all of a sudden these lower tier actors are like, we're just not going to use these extras anymore because now it's too expensive to pay for their health insurance and all these benefits. And I'm going to push on you a little bit with, I don't think he's worth $26 million. How good would he be without good writers? If they're not writing good stuff, how good? I mean, yeah, he is a draw. But again, you're not going to be good if they write crap. I don't know. I mean, we just... Right. I, I don't know enough about Matt Damon, but we would just watch I think Tom. We're picking yeah. on him, but it could be Tom Cruise. could be I'm, anybody. I'm just yeah. saying we just watched <laughs> Tom Cruise for his new movie, the Mission Impossible movie, jump off a freaking cliff. <laughs> he does all his own stunts. I'm like, wow, that is insane. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. That, and again, he is a big draw. I think he's probably one of the biggest draws. How's the movie doing? I've, I've seen I it. saw it like came out Wednesday and it opened pretty well, but it, it's, it's obviously a, through this weekend. So in the box office, we know it's been hit very hard and it, it appears it, it's doing okay. The last time I did some reading on it, but we'll, we'll have to see, I guess, Monday, Tuesday when the numbers come out, how it did over the weekend. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that they released it on a Wednesday because I think your big draw is on the weekend. Uh, and I know I want to see the movie. I wonder if they did it because of the strike. Because these actors are not promoting movies oh. right now. So I wonder if they did it to promote it before the strike happened to kind of get a little more buzz. I, I, I don't know. Just kind of speculating here. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Because I, I, I think you would still go to the box office to see the movie. And are the actors in the... Well, because like, right now actors, they, they've walked off red carpets. They are not promoting because generally you know tom cruise is going to be out there promoting oh, the movies and stuff yeah. so they're not out there kind of trying to help with the the reach and and marketing of the film that's, that's uh gosh yeah but it's just silly too because yeah. they get paid 
or kind of stuff like that. And it's like, but you already got paid for the movie. You Shouldn't got... you be marketing it? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're not getting paid to go out and promote it. You got paid before. And there's a closing bell. I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad it came up. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. I did not promote the newsletter today, but you can get the newsletter at the website, smartinvesting2000.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think that I did all that.